Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. participating in our service on screen someplace. We are living in some very uncertain times, and, and that's really an understatement, isn't it? I look back on my life on some other times of uncertainty, and I think of times like, for instance, in my childhood when I wondered what I was going to be when I grew up, or times in post-high school years when I wondered if I would ever marry or have a family, and times during seminary when I wondered where I would end up getting a call to serve. But you know, I do not remember ever being so uncertain about some basic things in day-to-day life. Like if I'd be able to find toilet paper or milk and eggs at the grocery store. Or if I'd be allowed to drive across a a state line just to visit some family. Or if I, as a pastor, would be allowed to uh, visit someone that's sick. Or if anyone would be able to show up at church on Sunday. Due to the present circumstances around us, suddenly many of the things that we took for granted have been stripped away, at least for a time. And it has many of us wondering, what is it we can hang on to? What do we know for sure? This Easter Sunday, I'm reminded of a couple of examples from Scripture of people that were living with great uncertainty in their lives because of recent circumstances in their lives. And and one of those examples you probably would think of this Easter time because all four of our Gospels in the Bible give this account, that of the disciples of Jesus Christ after Jesus had been arrested in the dark of the night and then given a mock trial and then condemned to death and hung on a cross till dead and then his beaten, bloody body was taken down and placed in a tomb. And most of those disciples had run away in fear and they were hiding out, social distancing, so to speak, from anyone in public. The other example, though it might first it seem a, a rather strange Easter text, but it's the Old Testament example of Job. And I talked about him some in my message on, on uh, Monday Thursday service, but, but let me remind you of the sudden ch- change of events that took place in his life. Job was a godly man who was greatly blessed with a large family and with significant wealth. Uh, until one day, Enemy tribes attacked, and they killed his servants, and they stole all of his donkeys and his oxen. And then lightning struck his sheep shed, and it burned up his sheep and the sheep herders. And then a windstorm came along, and it collapsed his oldest son's house with all of Job's children in it, and they all died. And then a few days later, Job was also afflicted with boils all over his body besides. And if that wasn't bad enough, Job had some friends who came over to console him but who really did the opposite. They weren't social distancing at all. They they were more like in his face and and telling him that he must have done some awful things for God to bring such calamity on him. And even Job's wife suggested that he should just curse God and die. 
Now, I dare say that in spite of all kinds of difficulties that some of us are encountering because of COVID-19 or other additional challenges in our lives, we still haven't been hit quite as hard yet in our circumstances as Job. So what did Job hang on to? What did he know for sure when all the other stuff was stripped away in his life? I invite you to look with me at that as, as we look at Job chapter 19 today, verses 21 and following. And, and I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have them there, as, as we read together in Jesus' name. Pity me. Pity me, O my friends, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh? Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. That with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives. And at last he will take a stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I shall see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see and not another. My heart faints within me. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, as we consider the example of Job and as we consider the disciples today, we pray that your word and the news that is there would be an encouragement to each one of us as well, whatever our circumstances. Lord, you know each one and you know what we're going through. And we thank you that you want to speak hope and truth into our lives today. Amen. As I think about the life of Job, I want to remind you of the time frame in which we generally understand this book to have been written. Though in our Bibles it's the 18th book of the Old Testament, it might help to think of it as inserted into the first book, into Genesis. And as far as we can discern, Job lived around the time then of the patriarchs of Abraham, um, Isaac, and Jacob. And the book of Job teaches us that we do not fully understand God's plan in allowing human suffering, but that God is still sovereign, and he is accomplishing his purposes through it. Job encountered all kinds of trials, including loss of most of all of his possessions and ability to make a living. He encountered sickness and physical misery and the death of all of his children and even ridicule by his so-called friends. What did he have left? What did he hang on to? What can we hang on to if we lose our financial security and ability to make a living? Or if we lose our health or lose loved ones to death or lose friendships and humanly speaking end up then rather alone? With all of the uncertainties of this life, what did Job know for sure? And what can you know for sure? In these verses here in Job chapter 19, I see three things especially that he knows and that he hangs on to. First of all this, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. Now before we try to understand just what Job meant there by my Redeemer, I want to note one other thing that we see in verses 23 and 24 there, and that is this that Job desires this to be permanently recorded. What he is about to say in the next verses he is wishing would be written down in some way 
so that they be remembered long after he's gone. He says there, Oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book, that with an iron stylus and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. Now, I want you to think about it. If you want something to be remembered after you're gone, write it down. Maybe even write a book, right? And, and somebody might read it. However, you know, even the best-selling books eventually end up on the shelf. If you want those words remembered longer, have them engraved in rock, like on your tombstone. Now, I don't know if back in the days of Job they even had tombstones of that kind, but regardless, he desired that these words would be written down and remembered forever, that they would be his testimony. And I think they might be good words to put on my tombstone someday as my testimony as well. What are those words? I know that my Redeemer lives. Now, what did Job mean by that? What was he like me? Speaking then of belief in the resurrected Christ, is, and is that even possible? Hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ came on the scene. Well, this much we can say about Job, first of all. He is confident that there will be for him a future vindicator. The, the word in our text, redeemer, can also be translated vindicator or defender or, or kinsman redeemer. Now, now, what's a kinsman redeemer? Well, in Old Testament law, it was a male relative who had the privilege or responsibility to act on behalf of a relative who was in trouble or in danger or in need of vindication in some way. Well, what was Job saying here? He was saying that he is confident that even though his friends have accused him of all kinds of sins against God as the reason that he is encountering all this suffering, there's going to come a time when he's going to be vindicated. Job's not claiming to be sinless. He knows that he's a sinner, but yet he believes that someone will come to his aid and defend him against those accusations. And just who will that future vindicator be? Well, he's con confident that this vindicator is alive, not like any of the, those relatives who have all died, but he's alive and he is God. I know that my Redeemer lives his vindicator is alive, and he's the one that is in charge then of, of, of the beginning and the end uh, of life on this earth. Now, is it possible that Job knew about the promise of a Savior? I believe so. If Job lived during the time of the patriarchs in Genesis, then, then they already knew of the promise of a Savior because it tells us way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, about Adam and Eve, and that they were given the first promise of a Savior from sin very soon after they had disobeyed God and were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And they were told that one of their descendants would bruise Satan's head, or the, the serpent's head. And Abraham, one of the patriarchs, was also given them a, a promise that from his seed, all of the nations of the earth would be blessed. And, and then we are told in Genesis 15, verse 6, that Abraham believed in the Lord, and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Abraham, a sinner, was defended by and considered righteous by God because of his faith in the promise of a Savior to come. And that's true for you and I today as well. We, we sinners too can be considered righteous in God's sight if we just believe in the Redeemer that God sent, 
Jesus Christ. Those Old Testament people like Job and Abraham just had the promise of a Messiah. The disciples of Jesus got to see that promise fulfilled as Jesus died and then three days later rose from the grave. And they could say with certainty and with greater understanding then what Job said in somewhat obscurity. I know that my Redeemer lives. Think about Thomas, one of the disciples. At first he hesitated to believe that Jesus could be alive from the dead. But the next week when Jesus appeared again to the disciples and Thomas was there with them, he bowed at Jesus' feet and he said, My Lord and my God. He now knew that his Redeemer lived. And we today have the testimony of the disciples and of the Apostle Paul as well who saw the risen Christ and who turned the world upside down then with that message of his resurrection. Let's go back again to Job here. And as Job went through the severe trials and uncertainties of his life, what did he know for sure? What did he hang on to? I know that my Redeemer lives. And one day he will defend me. He will justify me before both God and men. What else did Job know for sure and hang on to in the midst of those trials? He said this, At last he will take his stand on the earth. Who will take his stand? My Redeemer, the one that I know lives. At last he will take a stand on the earth. And it's clear from verse 25 that Job then believed in a culmination of things on this earth. At the last. That gives a time frame of after everything else. Job believed there was coming a time of consummation of the age at the end of the world as he knew it. Well, from the New Testament, we know more about that, don't we? Jesus also spoke about that to his disciples. And, and in 40 days after his resurrection, when he, the Son of God, ascended back up into heaven and, and the disciples were looking on as, as he did, there was an angel that told them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. The disciples of Jesus were told that when Jesus returned, that would usher in then the end of the world. And Peter, one of the disciples, talks about that in what he wrote in chapter 3 of, of his second letter, and saying this then, the, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Well, Job had at least some idea that there was going to be a point in the future. There would be the culmination of things on this earth. And along with that, he believed in a final day of reckoning. Kind of like at the end of school, at the end of classes, uh, most students usually have a final test. A, a time of accounting for what we know. And some students, as a result, dread finals. Well, when this earthly life is over, there will be a point in which all mankind will stand before God and they will give an account for this life. And Job, though he knows that he's a sinner, he is not dreading or afraid of that day because he is counting on that at that point he will be vindicated because his kinsman redeemer has stepped in on his behalf. Did Job fully understand how Jesus, the Son of God, would come to this earth and suffer and die on a Roman cross as a substitute sin bearer? taking on himself the wrath of God for the sins of mankind? No, but he did understand enough 
to be saved. He understood enough to know that he was a sinner and to know that when the end of the age came and that final day of reckoning came, God would be his defender. And the third thing that Job knew in his heart and hung on to as he went through the trials and misery of this earthly life was this. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. As we consider things connected to that, recognize that Job knows that, that our bodies then will experience sickness and death and decay. That's all just part of life as mortals here on this earth. And so Job doesn't assume that he's going to be exempt from trials or sickness. And he knows what we also know and what we've been reminded when we studied a year ago um, that Ecclesiastes study. The one sure thing that we can all expect in each of our lives is that we will die someday unless Christ returns before then. Job knew that at death his body would become cold and stiff, lifeless, and be placed in a grave. But even that thought of dying does not alarm Job because he also believes in a physical resurrection of the body. And we get a glimpse of that perspective. Actually, if you glance back a few chapters in Job, <clears throat> Job chapter 14, and there it says this, beginning at verse 7. It says, For there is hope for a tree when it's cut down that it will sprout again and its shoots will not fail. Though its roots grow old in the ground and its stump dies in the dry soil, at the scent of water it will flourish and, and put forth sprigs like a plant. <laughs> and interesting. Have you noticed that? I have because we have some old popple trees in our yard that we've had to cut down and, and we keep on getting shoots coming up from that stump that is there. Job knows that man is not like that tree. And he goes on to say, but man dies and lies prostrate. Man expires, and where is he? As water evaporates from the sea and as river becomes parched and dried up, so man lies down and does not rise. He's quite dead and stays dead. But Job goes on to say, until, until the heavens are no longer, he will not awake nor be aroused out of his sleep. And what's he saying there? That man, when he dies, stays dead and in the grave until the culmination of the age when heaven and earth pass away and God makes all things new. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us about that. And he talks of our earthly bodies really as like a dried up dead seed that has to be put in the ground in order for it to sprout again. Sown a perishable body, but one day raised to new life as an imperishable body. And he says there in 1 Corinthians 15, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. What an amazing day that will be. When those from throughout all of the ages that have died believing in Jesus Christ and have been placed cold and dead in the grave will burst forth to life again with new resurrected bodies, much like Jesus had at his resurrection. That means for me, I look forward to seeing my grandparents 
and my dad, who's been gone for over 25 years, and, and my uncle, who just passed away this last week. Some of you, too, have loved ones that you're looking forward to seeing as well. Well, did Job understand all of that? No, but he knew enough. He believed in a physical resurrection of the body. And he went on to say in chapter 14, If a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle I will wait until my change comes. And you will call and I will answer you, and you will long for the work of your hands. Job was confident that even if his suffering led to physical death, his body would rise one day from the dead to life again. And we know that because of what he said, as we glance back in chapter 19, where he said this, Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I'll see God, whom I myself shall behold, and whom my eyes will see and not another. He believes that even after his body dies, yet one day that body will see God. And that's what the Apostle Paul tells us too, and I, I love this passage of Scripture in, in 1, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I often share this uh, as a family gathers at a family service be, the day before a funeral, where it tells us this, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that you will not grieve, as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What did Job hang on to as he sat there stunned for days, having lost about everything on this earth and suffering physically as well? He hung on to this. He said, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take a stand on the earth. Even after my skin is destroyed, yet from my flesh I will see God. What was there for the disciples to hang on to as they huddled in a room behind locked doors, afraid for their own lives, after they'd lost to death the one that they had believed in as the Messiah and followed for those last three years? Well, that first Easter morning, they suddenly had something to hang on to because they had seen him again. They had seen Jesus Christ alive from the dead. Somebody posted this on social media this last week. I thought it was kind of good said, the first Easter didn't happen at a church. It happened outside of an empty tomb while the disciples were sequestered in, in a home, grief-stricken and wondering what was going on. So, we're all going to be keeping things pretty biblical this Easter. What can we hang on to as we stay in our homes rather than in full churches this Easter Sunday? And as we wait, and as we wonder what's around the corner with this coronavirus-frightened world that we live in, well, the message of the Easter is still the same. He is alive. Jesus Christ has risen. Our Redeemer lives. His resurrection verifies that what he proclaimed is true. He is the Son of God with authority to forgive our sins and with the power to one day rise our bodies too from the grave. And when 
we then will stand before our Creator on Judgment Day, we will need, not need to fear because Jesus will be our defender, saying, you know, their debt has already been paid in full. Enter into the joy of your salvation. There may be some sobering days ahead for us here on this earth when the message of the cross and the resurrection will become more and more urgent. However, from Scripture we know that the victory is won, but our work is not yet done. Let's pray. Well, Lord God, we thank you for your word today that reminds us that even from way back in the time of Job, there has been a confidence in you and what you have provided for us, a Redeemer, a Savior from sin. We thank you that as we look in the New Testament, we see that one who came, who showed by his earthly life and his teachings and his miracles, his power over nature and over sickness and even over death, that he truly is the Son of God, able to do what he said he was. And Lord, we trust in him today. We ask that each one who hears this message today, you would empower to look to Jesus today, to know the forgiveness of sin that he offers and the promise of eternal life. And Lord, that the result would be that we have peace in our hearts, knowing that you are in control and we can trust you no matter what happens around us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you at this time to join in singing with me a hymn that's based on that text, actually. I know that my Redeemer lives. The uh, author of that hymn is Samuel Medley, and he wrote back in the 1700s. He, he was one who was uh, um, from England, uh, joined the Royal Navy, and ended up being seriously injured in battle, and, and thus uh, compelled after that to withdraw from active service. Uh, eventually he became converted to Christianity and, and became a, a pastor. And after serving for over 30 years as a pastor uh, and having a long and painful illness, he died in, in uh, 1799. But this song is, is really his testimony. I know that my Redeemer lives, and I hope it's your testimony today as well. <laughs> 